Well, it's been a great morning already. Can we thank the worship team? What a great job helping us focus. I love what they do week in and week out. And, and realize even today as we began our time together in a green room meeting, that was our prayer is just that the worship would focus you, would help you be preoccupied with Jesus. It's a good working definition in my mind of what worship is, and they've done a great job of that today. So we're really glad that you're here today. My name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. It's a privilege to get to be with you in a summer series that we are looking at various parables. I love the tagline in this series, Kingdom Secrets Hidden in Plain Sight. And that's exactly what parables were. Jesus would take very common, ordinary, understood things, and he would say, I know this looks like X to you, but let me tell you how it represents why. And Jesus was constantly using these, these wonderful illustrations to show what the kingdom of heaven was like to a group of people who were earthbound, just like ourselves, and, and needed to have their, their understanding really open to go, oh, it's a very different world of what the kingdom you came to bring than I thought it was. And that's what we're learning day by day, week by week in this series. And excited to unpack this parable with you today that we mentioned it already. It's total um, truth. It's total big picture idea is about the idea of forgiveness. So we're going to dive in. I know the minute that we say that word, it brings some tenseness to some of us. And rightly so. You've been deeply wounded. And for some of us, the wound isn't something that happened last week or a month ago. It's decades old. And me just mentioning the idea of forgiveness brings a rigidity because you're realizing, oh no, here we go again. We're going to talk about what God's word says. You already have a premonition of the fact that you're called to forgive. And, and what I want to do today, rather than go into it with walls up and already ready to say, but you don't understand. And I want to clearly say today, you're right. I don't understand the ways that you've been wronged. But I do understand what scripture says about the onus of when I understand what I've been forgiven of, I am called to forgive. And so today what my hope is, is not to just kind of lump on a bunch of shame as to why you haven't forgiven yet. It's instead to create a pathway where you can say, God, I really need your help, but I actually am open. I'm ready to do this. That's where we're going today. And as we look at this, I really am excited because I want you to see God's perspective and I want you to see a God that maybe you haven't thought enough about, you haven't realized what he's done on your behalf that might help you be more interested, more open to forgiving others. Um, forgiveness, it's one of those things, if you're here today and everything's fine in your world relationally, you're really great with this topic. And, and you, you're a little bit like the way C.S. Lewis coined it. He said it this way, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. And that's totally the truth. We can talk about forgiveness with high, high praise and wonderful, you know, happy faces until we're the ones on the receiving end of someone's sin. And all of a sudden, man, this is really tough. And I get that it's tough. And that's why with a sense, I've been praying for you this week. Some individually that I'm aware of, of issues that you're walking in, and all of us generally, that we would have God's ability to, to do what is, I think, relatively illogical. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. As we look at this today, um, first off, let's help you find out where we're at in the Bible. We're in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, if you want to find your way there, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And in your Trinity this week, we have some notes that look like these, if you want to get those out and have those ready. 
Before we dive in, I want to give you a reminder. We have been talking about, ever since we made this service time adjustment, about still yet another service we're really excited to begin uh, preparing for and begin offering on 5.30 on Sunday nights. The first service when we kick that off, we'll share with you more the strategy of what we're calling a preview service, but it begins on uh, the Sunday, the 18th of August, but the Sunday before that, the 11th of August, I want to invite every one of you who is interested in having that service be your service. Now, I think all of you at some time, once we get a rhythm going, I think all of you will attend the 530 at one point or another because of a Sunday morning commitment or some other reason why you can't be here now. And you'll go, hey, this is a great opportunity, a great option, and that'll be great. But for others of you who would say, maybe just on your schedule, this is a really hard time to be here and 5.30 is a great win. Or, you know what, there have been people that I have been praying for, investing in, that I know can't or won't come on a Sunday, but they would be open to a Sunday night. I'm going to make 5.30 my service. If that's you, I want to invite you to come Sunday, the 11th of August, at that same time, 5.30, and find out a little bit about how you can be involved, how we're praying for that service. Every service, I don't know if you know this, if you attend the same service most every week, this seems very normative to you. If you come to this 1045 service, these are the people that you notice, you kind of see the culture, and you don't think much of it. I'm here for every service. So I noticed the differences in the cultures of each service, and no doubt 530 will have its own culture as well. It's the same service, same message, same music, same announcements, but it will take on a flavor of its own. And so I just encourage you, if you're interested, prayerfully consider that. Join us on Sunday, the 11th of August, and find out a little bit more of how you can make that your particular community. All right? Well, let's dive in. Uh, as we talk about this idea of forgiveness today, one of the things that was really powerful to me was to think about the challenges that you and I are facing right now. When I think of challenges, meaning relational challenges, who are the people that you're really struggling with right now? And then ask this simple question, how much of that struggle is based on a lack of forgiveness, either on their part or on yours? How much of the relational challenge, the one that popped right to your mind, many of us don't need to think long on that. <laughs> or you might need to say, Todd, which one? Okay. But either way, one, one or more come right to mind. Of those challenges, how many of those are really based on the fact that one or both people won't forgive each other? And then you start realizing, oh, this is very pertinent to my life because this is going on right now. It was very vivid to me when I was um, up in the desert. I was a family pastor. We had put together a curriculum for marriage that I think was an eight-week-long class, myself and another pastor. And we taught that class probably at least a dozen or more times over my time there. I loved teaching it. And I remember one particular time we offered it. In the eight sessions, what we would do is the first session and the last session were very solid in terms of they needed to happen in that order. But the other six could rotate around based on our schedules, and it worked out pretty good. But this one particular time I remember teaching, we, for whatever reason, didn't teach on forgiveness until week six, so pretty deep into the process. And I remember that particular class, I would have all these people come up afterwards and say, Todd, we need an appointment with you. I said, great, I'm the family pastor. I do a lot of marital counseling. I'd love to do that. And so we started making these appointments, and I was realizing in real time what a bad decision it was to have forgiveness on week six. It probably needed to be week one or two. Because all the things we were saying about the value of good communication, all the things that we were saying about how essential it was to be on the same page with your finances, none of that was being heard. 
Everything was just kind of falling on deaf ears because these people were so hurt by one another and could not move forward because their spouse had become their enemy. It was almost like a boulder in the road that they could not get around until the debt was going to be dealt with. Every single one of those counseling sessions were all about a lack of forgiveness in marriage. And I realized how incredibly powerful this topic is. If we don't deal with it, we are going to be stuck. So today I want to help through just simply the teaching of God's word. My prayer is that you get unstuck. And that's what we're going to look at. And I think as true as that was in those marriages years ago, it's also true in your relational challenge that you just identified a minute ago. So let's look at this. Here's our now what statement today. Demonstrate gratitude for how God has forgiven you. How? By readily forgiving others who sin against you. Number one in your notes, let's unpack that. You've been forgiven by God an amount you could never repay. You've been forgiven by God an amount you could never repay. Your Bibles are at Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Let's begin with the context of this parable. One thing that's been really powerful, if you've been with us over this summer, has been how important the context, and this just makes sense, Jesus is the master storyteller. And so he's contextually always paying attention to who he's talking to, his audience. He's got that dialed in, and so he shares things that make sense with who's listening. This one was relatively easy because Peter is the one who asked the question. Here's, don't, don't skip over that, by the way. Peter basically asked the question, Jesus, when can I start holding a grudge? That's really the essence of the question. How many times do I have to keep forgiving someone who keeps sinning against me until I can finally say the forgiveness tank is empty, now I can be, have a grudge against you? That's really what he was asking. And before you sit there and go, that's so silly, let's, let's pull back a little bit and ask the question, how many times have we asked the same thing? Now, maybe not in those exact words, but it's come off something like this. God, there are people in my relational world I can't seem to get away from. They keep sinning against me, and you've prayed it this way. How long do I have to put up with this? That's, in essence, the same question. When do I get to start holding a grudge? Because they just keep coming back and back again for owing me because of the way that they wound me. So don't dismiss this question as irrelevant to your life. You and I have asked it ourselves. Peter just frames it in a way that becomes very vivid very quickly. Let's, let's do this. Before we get too far today, let's define the terms. Because often, if we don't do this from the beginning, I'm saying one word, you're thinking it means something different than I'm intending. Let's see this. The, the Greek word that we're looking at in this passage for forgive, in your notes, it means to send away or release to send away or release. So think of it this way. Think about the fact a lot of words in the New Testament that relate to the idea of forgiveness are actually accounting words. They're words related to physical debt. And as we'll look today, we'll see about a monetary debt is what's forgiven. That's often. So even though it might not be true that someone in your world owes you money, they owe you because they've hurt you. They've wounded you with words or actions or thoughtlessness or whatever it may be. But the idea is that's often the New Testament concept that Jesus' listeners would have heard it in. So we're not talking about some theoretical idea. Oh, just 
kind of airily forgive them. It's not purely emotions that you just need to feel like you've forgiven them. There was a literal transaction. I'm putting a zero at the bottom of the ledger sheet. This person owes me today, now, earlier today, now this part of the day, I put a zero, they don't owe me a dime anymore. That's what Jesus' listeners would have understood this to be, of this release of sending the debt away. There's nothing I hold over your head any longer. And this is what we've said before. I, I really do think that forgiveness is counterintuitive. I think that we generally think, if you wound me, I might not hurt you back more, but I'm surely going to do equal right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's like, hey, if you do that to me, I'm going to get my, I'm going to exact my revenge. That just makes sense. And this happened early on when you were in preschool and one child slapped you. You didn't sit there and go, oh, that's great. You know what? Maybe next time, not, don't do that, but I forgive. It was pow. What are you doing? You know, I'm just sitting here minding my own business and, and that's what you did. And it started that way all the way through. That's our logic is we're, quote, fair-minded. If you wound me, I'm gonna wound you back. That's a normative way that I think human beings think. And we have these interesting fair minds. We're very fair-minded when we're injured, but we cry for mercy when we hurt someone else. Think of it this way. It's, it happens to you all the time when you're driving. You get cut off constantly by people when you drive. I think we have a culture in Southern California that people think there's like an icon that is over their car that's like the right of way. So wherever they go, I get to go first. You know, everyone should just part the waters and let me drive. So when you get cut off by someone, whether on the roads or the freeway or whatever, here's how you react. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're not paying attention. They could have totally hit us, hurt us. I can't believe they're just that bad of drivers. Who's behind the wheel? And then you say a lot of other things I'm not gonna say here in church. You, get, you take it really personal when someone cuts you off. Like, I can't believe they just totally did that to me. But yet, in the few moments, the rarities, when you actually understand you cut someone off, I think it's actually, we're doing this all the time to one another. We don't even know most of the time. But in the few times, you actually readily understand, I just cut someone off. This is your reaction. Oh, I made a mistake. Bummer. <laughs> There's no personal transaction. You don't think about, oh, I so deeply wounded them. You don't think about, you could have just caused a major traffic accident. You're just like, oh, I didn't see them in my mirror. And you drive on happily down the road. Well, the other person's got lots of gestures behind you. Okay, and here, here's my point. That's exactly the way that we respond to all kinds of situations in our life. When someone wounds you, you want to exact justice. When you wound someone else, you are quick to ask for mercy. I don't ever want justice when I'm the offender. I always want mercy. But when I'm offended... I often demand justice. That's the way we're wired. That's the natural responses that I think that we have. And so today what we're talking about is a supernatural response. A supernatural response fueled by God's forgiveness of you. Here's another key term we need to define today is the word mercy. This is the working definition I use all the time. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
And I, I want to say this, that Trinity and at every church, we talk a lot today about grace, and rightly so. And we're going to keep talking about grace because it's such a powerful concept. But in our relationship with God, vertically with him, the very first word we should ever talk about is mercy. Because the Bible teaches us that we were actually born into our world, born into our lives with a broken, sinful nature. That by nature, we are going to live opposed to God. And we've evidenced that plenty in our actions. So by both nature and action, we are sinners opposed to God. And if we get what we deserve, we would deserve hell. Eternal separation from God. So what we start with is not, God, would you be gracious? Would you give me something I don't deserve? We start the other way around. God, please don't give me what I do deserve. I come to this relationship a debtor. I don't come at a zero, zero. I don't come on just even playing field. I come to God as a debtor because of who I am and how I've lived. So mercy is actually the first words off my mouth. And grace is even amazing on top of that. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Those are great ways to think about that. Back to our text. This is what we need to understand. Peter thought he was actually being incredibly generous when he posed, posed the idea of seven times of forgiveness. Rabbinic teaching would have been three. Three times when someone violates you, there's forgiveness. On the fourth, there's no forgiveness needed after that. Now you get to hold the grudge. So Peter thought he was going big. Jesus, what do you think? Even seven? Jesus says, no, more like 77. Actually, that phrase can be translated either 77 or seven, 70 times seven, so 490. And, and here's the point. Don't get caught up on the actual number because commentators say that's actually not the point of Jesus' response. It was simply this. This exorbitant big number was simply meant to communicate that the point is not that we're called to keep track. The point is that we're called to keep forgiving. That's the point of what Jesus was saying. It's not that we're supposed to keep track, but that we're supposed to keep on forgiving. So Peter, thinking himself to be very generous, Jesus, I'm gonna throw out a big number, almost more than double what the other rabbis say we ought to do in forgiving. Would that be enough? Jesus says, it doesn't even really start. Let me show you why. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, I hate that translation, I'll define it in a minute, he was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Hilke introduced us to a term a couple of weeks ago about when we see this phrase in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. It's an expression used to describe the mystery of the kingdom as it relates to living in this present age. So Jesus, again, the master storyteller, he begins to use this illustration, this parable, in response to Peter's words. And he uses words and ideas that his audience could understand. There was a king there was a ruler, there was someone large and in charge, and he did what people do. When loans have been outstanding and not repaid, you call people to account. 
And in this settlement, he has a guy come in who owes him 10,000, and really the better word is talents. A talent was either a weight or a type of monetary sum that was exchanged, 10,000 talents of gold. Now, for us, we hear that and they go, anytime we hear the word 10,000, that sounds like kind of a lot, so you'd think that. But look at this on the slide. A conservative equivalent exchange of one talent would be $1.4 million dollars. One talent of gold, 1.4 million. Now watch this. Thus someone who owed a king 10,000 talents would owe him $14 billion. That's what I want you to catch. We read that and it goes right past us, but Jesus's audience would have heard there once was a guy who owed a king $14 billion. They would have just stopped him in shock. They would have asked the questions you're asking right now. Who drives up $14 billion of debt? Maybe better said, who lets someone owe them $14 billion of debt? Either side of that coin is a great question for you and I to go, how in the world did this scenario happen? Jesus doesn't give us more than that, but we're just kind of stopped by the actual facts, the numbers, and we go, that is a lot of debt that this guy owes this king. So that's kind of where the parable begins, that this guy owed a massive, massive amount of money. And the audience knew in hearing that nobody in lifetimes can pay back $14 billion. This is just off the charts, crazy amount of money. So being sold into slavery, having him, his possessions sold, him and his family all made to be slaves, all split up as a result would have been a normal, natural response to someone who could not settle the payment. So the people wouldn't have been overwhelmed by hearing that was the response or the the consequence of this. I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Think of the sheer devastation this would have caused in the man, the debtor. That as a result of not being able to pay back this debt, not only everything he owns, not only his life being sold into servitude, but his whole family. He's implicated everyone. Everyone now pays because of his failure. That had to just be massive on his own psyche and his own soul to realize I have royally messed up and everyone gets affected because of my failure in this way. When things got dire, the man in sheer desperation, he begs for more time. That was his answer. Just give me more time and I'll be able to pay it back. It's a ridiculous attempt to stall the inevitable. But here's what really would have blown Jesus' listeners away, and it should do the same for you. The king forgave. The king canceled. The king sent away. The king released the debt. And he didn't say, here's a payment plan. Let me write this IOU. He didn't say, let's do something that reduces the debt. He went to the bottom of the ledger sheet, wrote a zero, canceled it out, and said, your debt is filled. It's paid. It's over. The crowd around Jesus would have been absolutely blown away by this kind of generosity, this kind of mercy, as should be us, who sit there and go, who does that? Who forgives that deep amount of debt? And here's the interesting thing, no one does. 
No one did 2,000 years ago and no one does today. And that's Jesus's point. Let me introduce you to a God that even though you've read of him in the Torah, even though you know of his faithfulness to your ancestors, even though you have learned about him since you were children, let me show you a God you never have known. A God who can forgive immense death that no human being would ever let slide. That's the father I've come to reveal. If you're here today and you have responded to this invitation of being forgiven, you have cried out for mercy to a holy God who actually paid a debt before you even knew you owed. If you're someone like that today, this is really great cause for a yay God. Can I get one of those? Yay God. This is what God has done for you. Yay, God. If you're here today and you haven't yet responded to this invitation, can I tell you, you are no different than the person sitting next to you who just moments ago said, yay, God. No different in the sense that you not only have the need to be forgiven, but there is the means to be forgiven. You're not sitting just next to someone who's so religious that, they, that God owes them something. You're not sitting next to someone who's so good that God, no. You're sitting next to another messed up sinner who's been saved by mercy and grace. That's our stories. And I want you to hear that today, that this is not a church of people who have their act together and somehow are earning something from God. This is a group of people who say, God, we are stunned at the way you have forgiven and the way you love us. You can know that love as well by responding to what we shared earlier today through the ABCs, that invitation's given every week. Don't let today go by before you respond as well. Number two in your notes today. Though you've been forgiven much, you often forget that when others wrong you. Though you've been forgiven much, you often forget that when others wrong you. Matthew 18, verse 28 but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he, he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay. Jesus' listeners were just as appalled as you should be right now. Are you kidding me? This guy, this guy who's just had lifetimes of debt removed, released, canceled. This guy should be doing cartwheels down the street, should be singing songs of joy. And this is what it says. He went out and found. Now watch this. In the original language, in the Greek language, it's not found like he walked out of the king's presence, oh, and bumped into a guy who owes him money. This says found after searching. He went looking for a guy who owed him money after he had just been relieved of the debt. That should make you go, what? Where is the celebration? Where's the gratitude? It's as though forgetfulness is that fast. He walks out of the king's presence and he finds a guy who owes him money, demanding that he repay now. I don't even know in our minds if we can fathom such a thing. And when you're 
unsettled by that, if that's frustrating to you, can I just tell you, that's because you were made in the image of God. Even though we are marred by sin, every one of us is an image bearer of God. And as a result, you get it at a basic level, you know right from wrong. And you know that a guy forgiven that kind of debt, the right response would have been, God, I can't believe what you have forgiven me from. How on earth could I demonstrate that but being forgiving of others? That should have been the expression was one of deep gratitude, cartwheels down the street. Instead, he goes and finds a guy who owes him money. Let's talk even about the amount for a minute. In the notes, I actually made, they, they don't let me even have any budget lines at Trinity Church because I'm not great at math. Here's what'll prove that. Take a look. It says, a fellow servant owed the forgiven servant, the one in the initial part and equivalent, should be of $10,000, not 1,000. I didn't add enough zeros. And this is the way we calculate that. These silver coins that was mentioned in the parable was the equivalent of a day's labor, a day laborer's wage. A day laborer's wage. So today, Minimum wage in California, if you work an eight-hour shift, you're going to, before taxes, get about $100. So if you do that, 100 times 100 should be 10000 not 1000 But here's the point. A guy who has been forgiven a debt he could never in lifetimes repay, the equivalent of $14 billion, goes and grabs a guy by the throat who owes him 10000 Now watch this. I'm not saying 10000 is like nothing. That's a significant amount of money but absolutely nothing comparatively. That's the point. And out of that deep sense of what should have been there is gratitude. There was anything but. Notice even too, he doesn't just demand repayment. He takes him by the throat. The king had the authority to do any kind of thing to the original servant, but he gave him dignity and respect and let him stand before him. This guy goes and physically grabs him by the throat, thinking if I squeeze hard enough, maybe the coins will start dropping out of him. The debtor replies, watch this, with the same actions, he fell to his knees and begged, And words that the forgiven man had said, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. The very same response, but the ultimate blow takes place. The forgiven man, he doesn't just confront the debt, but demands that the debtor be placed in jail until he could pay it back. I think that Jesus's audience would have been floored. I think you are today too, and you should be. That's an absolutely amazing thing. Just so heartbreaking to hear about a guy who could be such an ingrate. I've just been forgiven this, but I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna exact payment from this other guy who owes me infinitely less of what I've been forgiven. Who does something like that? And here's the wild thing that you and I already know. You and I do. You and I do when we fail to forgive people who have wronged us. Realize who you are in this parable. You're not the king you're the first person who was forgiven. And as a result, our posture ought to be that of gratitude, thankfulness, but instead we keep choking out people who owe us. Brings us to our third point today. An expectation of being forgiven by God is that you would forgive others. There is an inherent expectation when God has forgiven you that you in turn would show forgiveness towards others. Matthew 18, 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Listen to this line. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's the expectation. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. At first glance, this parable ends very harshly. Very much like, whoa, that got heavy really fast. But let me pull you back to a couple things to be reminded of. Basically, the king took back his mercy. He had extended mercy before to the original debtor. And then once he sees the lack of forgiveness in that servant, he just simply went back to what the original judgment was. That he'd be placed in jail before, until his debt could be paid. Don't view that as overly harsh. Just view that as simply a lack of, of mercy. Where there was mercy, now it's taken away. Powerful, by the way, to note the Greek word translated as these other fellow servants. They told their master everything. It means to explain with vivid detail, great detail. And I want you to think of that. I want you to think of how negative and positive that effect of forgiveness has on the people around you. Because it wasn't the king who first noticed the problem, the inconsistency. It was other servants. Other people that were close to the situation, they had heard of the king's forgiveness and then they saw this guy exact money out of someone else who owed him and they went back to the king and they were horrified. They couldn't believe this guy could do this. The people in your relational world, they know if you're a person who has forgiven others or not. That's the definition of doing life with people. They hear the snide comments. They see the way you shut down when someone walks in the room. They see the way you ignore someone as though they are dead who still owes you a debt. So don't for a moment think you're hiding it. Bitterness is evident way more than you even understand. And so think of that negatively, but also see it positively. And that's why it's, this is such a hopeful passage. For those of us who are stuck, who are mired, we've actually moved from a lack of forgiveness into the world of bitterness that has a huge entanglement around our hearts. The people in your relational world that you're doing life with, that you want to demonstrate Jesus to, when they see a shift, when they see you able to forgive someone who's deeply wounded you, it speaks volumes to them because they don't know how you can do that. And when your simple reply is, when I understand how much I have been forgiven by God, how could I not? That will speak volumes more than any message I could give here on a stage. It would be the real life application of that truth. And they will sit there and they will be shocked that you're able to say, I canceled the debt and let it go. That's a powerful part of this passage, not just the people involved, but the people who are watching. Now, if you're here today, and, and I want you to see this, see this idea. This is, to me, the evidence or the essence of where forgiveness comes from. Look at this great passage from Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, look at this powerful line. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's really all that needs to be said. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. D.A. Carson put it this way. He says, in the kingdom that Jesus came to offer, those who are forgiven must forgive, lest they show themselves incapable of receiving forgiveness. I want to finish our time today by getting 
deeply practical and, and application. Some of you are saying, so Todd, here's what you're saying based on what we've just read. So you're saying that people who have deeply wounded me or people who have just kind of let a huge tally grow of small, irritating things, I'm supposed to put a zero at the bottom of that sheet. I'm supposed to just cancel that debt like it never, ever happened. Well, I don't know that you can cancel it like it never happened. But I do think based on what we read today and other places in scripture that you are called to put a zero at the bottom of the sheet. That's what canceling a debt means. It doesn't mean to put them on a payment plan. It doesn't mean to reduce the debt. It means to put a zero. And some of us are just so, like you walked in the door, so you are right now. You're so stuck. I I can't do that. Let me help you with a couple ideas before we leave today. I want to get intensely practical with you. First off, A, letter A in your notes, there are vertical and horizontal aspects to forgiveness. There are vertical and horizontal aspects to forgiveness. One of the biggest challenges for, for the transaction of forgiveness to take place is a lack of the conversation. Some of you are here and you intensely hate conflict. So you just, no matter how deeply someone's hurt you, I'm just not gonna deal, I don't wanna see them, I just wanna act like it never happened, fill in the blank, that's where you're at. And as long as you are perpetrating the gap in the problem, you're not helping ever there to be closure. Now you might say, well, Todd, I already know what they're gonna say. They're not gonna own it, they're like Teflon, nothing sticks to them, they won't own their part of the problem. And I'm not even saying that you're wrong because you probably had those conversations and they've gone that way. But here's what I am saying. I am saying that there needs to be, on the horizontal level for forgiveness to happen, there has to be a conversation, a confrontation about it. Did you notice in both of the stories in our parable today, there was a confrontation. The king was gonna settle accounts, so he had the servant brought in. One servant goes to another servant, did it all wrong. But in each case, there was a conversation about the problem, about the debt. The longer you keep running away from the conversation, forgiveness on a horizontal level is never gonna happen. But the other part is also true. Some of us are saying, well, Todd, I would, but I'm not the offender. I'm the offended. I'll wait till he or she comes to me and then we'll have a conversation. But can I show you from scripture, the onus is on both of you. The Bible teaches that really the best scenario ought to happen when there's a grievance between two people is you ought to meet each other on the road to go see each other. Let me show you what I mean. Earlier in this same chapter, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, and in some manuscripts it says sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So the onus on that case in Matthew 18 is on the offended. You have done something to me. I'm gonna go to you. And here's, as you read the rest of that passage in Matthew 18, it's all about loving confrontation with the goal of being reconciled both to God and to each other. Absolutely a confrontation that is with the goal of reconciliation. But look at this. Then there's also this reality in Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. So in that sequence, you realize, man, I've really blown it towards this person. I need to go make it right. And that's why I love the the biblical picture. The onus is on both parties that you'd meet somewhere on the middle of the road going, I was just coming to see you about that. Don't sit and wait for someone to come make it right with you because the Bible says you have just as much a responsibility to go to them. 
Now, for some of us, that conversation can't happen. Some of the wounds of forgiveness go so deep that person doesn't live anywhere near her or is even dead. And so let me say what you do in those circumstances. And I've done a lot of counseling with people on this topic. And this is what I've come to the conclusion. Our phrase, we read it in in our parable today, unless you forgive them from your heart. I think that's the vertical component. Some of you will never be able to have the transaction fulfilled horizontally where they and you deal right. Yes, I offended you. Would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive. That's the transaction you're looking for. Some of us will never have the opportunity for that. But what we can all have is the opportunity for the vertical component of forgiveness. And I believe it's simply this. God, this person has wounded me. I don't know if we're ever going to have the opportunity face-to-face to have that confronted and reconciled, but I promise you this. That debt is not getting in the way with me vertically with you. And the moment they were to come, if I'm the offended, the moment they were to come and ask for my forgiveness, I would already have the answer ready. And it's yes, because I've already forgiven them even before we ever talked. That's the vertical component of forgiveness, and you can know that even if the horizontal transaction never happens. That is a powerful truth I didn't always know, but I've come to believe, and I really believe Scripture teaches that, and it's powerful and how freeing that is, even if I'm never able to have the horizontal closure. Letter B in your notes, forgiveness and trust are two different things. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Here's my, my hunch is that some of you here today are stuck and won't forgive because you've commingled these definitions. You think that forgiveness and trust are the same thing, and therefore, when someone like today, if, if Scripture's calling you to forgive, what you're hearing is you need to trust that person who deeply wounded you as though it never happened and it's all good. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible actually says in the book of Proverbs, he is a fool who trusts an untrustworthy person. So trust is a totally different issue than forgiveness. Today's passage says there's a debt and it's rolling on the ledger sheet and I'm able to say, I put a zero at the sheet. I don't hold that any longer against you. But if you want me to trust you again, that's a whole different topic. And where that begins is where trust is rebuilt is always on the the onus of the offender. And it's never rebuilt with words. It's always rebuilt with actions and with time. If you're here today and you're the offender, that drives you nuts. Because you think you earned their trust back weeks or months or years ago. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe because you're not demonstrating a trustworthiness. But the reality is, if you're here today and you've been deeply wounded, please don't confuse the terms. Forgiveness and trust are not the same. They're both important. But today's passage is dealt squarely with forgiveness being able to put a zero at the bottom of the sheet. Finally, C, the only thing harder than forgiveness is the alternative. The only thing harder than forgiveness is the alternative. That's a quote from Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And I think it's so true. Some of you are here today and you are rotting away from the inside out. The Bible says that's what bitterness does to a soul. It grabs a hold of you. And I loved it. I was talking to someone in between services. It's drinking poison and thinking it's gonna kill them. It's the same problem. You are dying on the inside out because you won't release this debt. And I'm just here to tell you today, as hard as forgiveness is, what you're experiencing is even worse, is even harder still. 
you can come recognizing what you've been forgiven of and with that be able to forgive others. Look at this final quote today. We are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. And my prayer is that you and I as a church, we would become a people who are most like God. Here's our now what? Demonstrate gratitude for how God has forgiven you by readily forgiving others who sin against you. Let's pray. Father, we come to a, a, an illustration today, this parable that's very, very challenging for some of us. Others of us, we're in a season right now where forgiveness is readily available and flowing and it's not so hard, but we have to be reminded of the words that Lewis said at the beginning. It's as easy for us because we're not in it. But the moment that we get in it, it's going to be um, suffocating. So God, help us all to have an empathy for one another about the challenges that come with forgiveness. But God, let this passage, let it be a bedrock. Let it be a foundation upon which we keep readily bringing back to mind the parable of the unmerciful servant. God, as you have shown us mercy, not getting what we deserve, help us to be able to give mercy to other people. It is hard, but it is right. It is your design. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God, help us to be a people who don't bear grudges, who don't live in the toxic life of bitterness, but people instead who radiate the power of forgiveness and how it transforms and changes our lives and it changes the, the temperature, the thermostat in our worlds. Give us grace to do what is beyond ourselves, a supernatural enabling, both with your spirit and your word. And we're grateful so much to have truth on this topic. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.